Let's just warmly welcome Jeremy to Highland Crest this morning. Thank you, and I know you guys don't know us, and we don't know you, and that's always kind of a, somewhat of a dangerous thing, and um, praise the Lord, as you think through this, we're, we're just praying that God will use today in a wonderful way. Um, my name is Jeremy Frazier, I'm from South Carolina, um, but I, and I grew up there, how many of you have ever been to Greenville, South Carolina, anyone been there? Okay, that's where I'm from, that's upstate, so it's a... It's kind of like edge of the foothills, getting close to Asheville, North Carolina, but we're also kind of in between. You get close to Charlotte, an hour and a half, two and a half hours south is Atlanta. You got Knoxville. That's, so that kind of area, it's upstate. You start getting towards the coast, it gets, start getting flat and hot even, you know, and then you get the coast, you get the breeze. And so some of you are familiar with Charleston or Myrtle Beach or something like that. But I'm from South Carolina. Uh, my parents, uh, my, my mom is originally from Iowa. My dad is from Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah, does anyone know anything special about Roswell? It's like the UFO capital of the world. And so I, as a joke, I say I have a glow about me. You know, that's why. I, so um, that's where I'm from. My wife is actually originally from Michigan. And um, she, uh, she was actually born in uh, Wisconsin, Watertown, Wisconsin. And then, um, but, but right soon after that, moved to Michigan. Uh, her dad uh, has pastored in Michigan. He was there for 21 years. And then, and then in the year 2000, went out to Washington State, pastor, and pastored in Washington State for 22 years, and so has since just retired in the last year, and, um, but we're so uh, just grateful to be able to minister. So to give you a little bit of a background, just so you kind of know where I'm coming from, um, I, growing up in South Carolina, my, I started going to church because my, my dad had come to Christ. He had claimed Christ when he was younger, but it was evident he didn't know Christ. And um, at the age of 26, uh, he, he gets saved, and it, and it shifts our family. We start going to church. We start hearing the message, the gospel clearly. I kind of thought, you know, in the South, you grow up, and you're like, you kind of grow up going to church, you know? There is like a church on almost every corner. It's a, it's a buckle, you know, of the Bible belt almost. And, um, and so... But hearing all that, realizing just because you have the head knowledge doesn't mean it's down here. And then at some point, an evangelist, a special speaker came, and I'm listening, and he's dealing with sin. And clearly, I knew I was a sinner, and I knew I needed to get saved. I mean, he gave the gospel, presented it well. And that night, uh, my dad was able to really lead me to Christ. And um, it's interesting as I begin to kind of go on a journey with, in a sense, with the Lord Probably by about junior high and high school age, I was, I was now running from the Lord. I thought my way was, I thought somehow I was smarter than God and I knew better. That never ends well, you know. And so for me, it was interesting because at the age of 17, going to a camp um, in North Carolina... Uh, the preacher opened up the kind of the week and said, if God speaks to your heart, how many of you would be willing to respond to the Lord? And honestly, I had gone my own way for so long, and I just, it's like, and I kept coming up short. All my little G-O-D gods, you know, didn't satisfy. Sin's pleasurable for a season, the season gets over, I mean, I'm just discouraged in it, and I, I'm, I'm spiraling in it. Um, I'm angry at everybody. I feel like everyone's out to get me. You know, my parents are out to get me. You know, I end up going to a Christian school. They're all out to get me. You know, my pastor's out to get me. Everyone's out. But when you live in sin, you think all authority is kind of like <laughs> your enemy, and that's what was going on in my own life. I had sports as gods. I like, I competed around the country in and, and martial arts, um, and so, and would win. I would compete in um, gymnastics. I always want to learn how to do flips. So I was like, you know, uh, and I would win. I would compete, uh, we competed later in soccer, in the sports soccer. I mean, and with all the medals and things too, what happens? You come up short. It's like, so what next? And that's where I was. And so when the preacher asked, if God speaks to your heart, how many of you would be willing to respond? At this point, I'm... I'm spiraling down, and you kind of go, what's next? And maybe, maybe suicide would be next, you know, as it keeps going further. And I remember that night, God started speaking to my heart clearly. The next day, I'm at camp, and the preacher preaches on something different. And I'm thinking, man, he's, he, like, 
how does he know these things? You know, <laughs> did, did he call my, my parents? Uh, but it's literally by about the midweek, I finally just surrender my heart to the Lord, this God, whatever you want. I, I mean, you rule. Um, and, and at that point, the, the joy of the Lord and the peace of the, just the, just what God can do in a heart and a life. And that happened to me at 17 at camp. And, uh, I've always been grateful for that. Uh, I began to have a faithful walk with the Lord and the scriptures and, and God began to work in my heart that way. And if you would have told me as a teenager, you know, Jeremy, you, one day you're going to be a preacher. Okay. That's, <laughs> I would have laughed in your face and you would never have said that either. So, <laughs> but it is interesting as you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? You put your greatest desire and delight in him and he starts changing your desires to be his desires. And it's like as a high schooler, senior in high school, we started to, my friend and I started, we felt guilty. We felt like, like in the sense of we never share the gospel. So what if we, let's go do something about that. Let's, so we decided to go to our downtown area, Greenville, South Carolina, and share the gospel. <laughs> it was just me and my friend and we had no clue what we were doing. And we were just like, hey, can we tell you about Jesus? You know what I mean? We were like, <laughs> And you know what God was? God was just stirring our hearts, working in us, working on us. Um, and it was about probably six months after the Lord really got a hold of my life, maybe eight months, I sensed God's leading to preach, to actually. And, I th- and I'm, think- I'm thinking, too, it was on a mission trip in New York City, and I'm just thinking, God, you are, you are choosing the wrong person. I mean, I, I can't, like, get up in my school and give a book report without stumbling over everything and, you know, my friends laugh, and I might be able to tell a joke, but I'm like, you know, but, but interestingly enough, the Lord doesn't always call the people most equipped, but he will always equip the people he calls. And so as God began to stir my heart that way, it's interesting, I began to change desires, I began to have a walk with the Lord, and now all of a sudden I begin to study for ministry. And then after um, college and studying for ministry, I end up traveling with this evangelist, a guy named Steve Pettit. And um, just a gifted preacher, if you ever get an opportunity to hear him, just a very gifted uh, preacher of the gospel and, uh, and even expositor as an evangelist. He unfolds the text of Scripture to you. And so what, a, what an awesome opportunity. But, but, and then it was like through that and traveling and stuff too, eventually my wife, my wife and I, we get married in 2000. And um, we have five kids. Uh, so my oldest, JT, you'll kind of meet him. Uh, he'll be kind of playing the guitar and, and singing and stuff too. He's now speaking to the, um, to the kids. And then, um, then we have Corey, who's on the, who will be on the cello. Uh, Jaden plays violin and, and, and sings and stuff too. And, and, then, um, and then we have um, two other ones. We have Zachary and then Kalea. So I have five kids. So we just tell people, pray for us, please. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and um, so that's kind of our family. In the fall of 07, I launched off into evangelism after traveling with this evangelist named Steve Pettit for, for five years. A couple years single after uh, seminary, coming back, and then, and then three years with him again. And so we have been, uh, we're based out of South Carolina, but we go all over the country and we go out of the country. So we kind of week to week scheduling uh, conferences with churches. And so about four or five weeks ago, we were in California and then worked our way back from here, from actually being out west. And so I, I drive a truck and trailer, it's a big old semi-truck with a big old trailer, and that's what we live in. So, we, you know, we're like trailer trash. You know, we travel the country, and, um, and we minister in churches all over. But they're Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching churches. And so it's kind of that old school, you know, you think about that. And, and sometimes people do wonder, like, why, why, you know, did God use that guy you know, as pastors here consistently, and I think sometimes it's a different voice saying the same thing. We always laugh at that because at camp, you know what it's like, parents, because you send your teens maybe to camp, and they come back, or the kids, you know, and they come back from camp, and what do they do? They say, you won't believe what I learned. Like, I learned if, like, you obey and honor your parents. Like, there's, like, blessings, you know, and the promises of God, and you're thinking, I have told you that all my life, you know, all your life. So it is funny how God uses a different voice uh, really, honestly, just saying the same thing in many ways, but yet different giftedness with the, even in that. So we, we're thankful. Actually, just being able to hear your own pastor's testimony, we kind of got connected um, earlier 
uh, um, really kind of the summer, kind of almost at the beginning of this, and just, just, just to see what God continues to do. And I am so grateful for this opportunity. This is a, a wonderful time that we can have together. So what I'd like you to do is take your Bible, go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, and I, I have the teens in here on purpose because I think this can be really a benefit to you as well. But as we turn there, this is really our focus uh, this summer. So, so Eric Herb at Northland Camp, uh, who's the director, uh, Eric had asked me, Jeremy, um, back in the day, Northland Camp used to run four to 600 campers a week. We used to have about 150 staff members. Um, and so we would come there in the summertime helping that and then be at local churches during the year. But as we did that, um, we did something called a power group. We started adding these discipleship groups and really focus in on a text of scripture. So this summer, actually, he said, can you, can you revamp that? We'd like to go back to what we used to do to really help disciple the staff. And so we started off with a two-week staff training and in the process went through and worked through Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to verse 32. Now, I'm not going to take you through all of that, okay? But I do want us to look at verse 22 to see the core of what we're seeing here. In Ephesians 4, verse 22, it says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. How do we change? Let me pray and ask God's help as we look into this. Father, I thank you so much for this morning's time together. And I ask, would you please empower me? Will you fill me with your spirit and use me? I pray as I would declare the truth from the scriptures that you would connect these truths in our hearts, that we would be not just hearers, but we would be doers. We would respond to the word of God in obedience. Lord, I realize not everybody who hears something like this is even in Christ. I ask God that you'd prepare hearts, uh, that the message would be so clear that we would not only understand the gospel and respond to the gospel, but we would live worthy of the gospel as true believers. So God, do a work right now in a very special way, and we'll thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people would say, amen, amen. amen. As you look at this passage of Scripture, what comes to my mind is something interesting that happened a number of years ago. I started working camp, and when I started working camp, it was in the kind of the early to mid-90s, okay, you could say. So 1994, I went and uh, was suffering for Jesus at a camp on an island in Hawaii, how many of you would like to suffer for Jesus in Hawaii? Anyone want to say, okay, that's what I thought, okay. Some of you are like, no, no, you know, Green Bay, you know, okay, okay. Anyway, so I was, um, I was in Hawaii, and actually I worked there that summer, and it was really interesting because it was a very rustic kind of a camp, and uh, outhouses for bathrooms, three-minute showers and stuff too. I mean, it was, it was really rugged, and it was located up on top of the high part of the mountain, and so you had to get water brought in and stuff too. So it was kind of an interesting style, okay? So it wasn't what you think of Hawaii. Um, and I was there one summer. Then I came back, actually, and worked another place the second summer. And then the next one after that, I, came, I went all the way back to Hawaii and worked there again, which was interesting because now here I am, um, two years later, and there's a guy who shows up to camp who was in my cabin two years prior. Now, normally, if you went to camp, you don't get the same counselor, even especially a couple years later. And here's this guy. His name's Neil. And Neil looks at me, and I'm like, hey, Neil, how are you doing? And Neil at this time was a senior uh, in high school. And I'm like, hey, Neil, how are you doing? And he looks at me, and he says, just so you know, I'm not going to make any kind of spiritual decisions this week. That was the first thing that came out of his mouth. Um, And then he got more passionate in his voice. He said something like this. You know, you just can't change. You don't understand how hard it is to live for the Lord on an island like this. The peer pressure, the drugs... I mean, everything about this, it's like, it's just, it's impossible to live for God. I mean, we come to camp and we might have a good week of camp and, and, and then maybe after camp a little bit, but then it's like soon after that, no one's living for the Lord. It's just impossible. You just can't do it. Have you ever been there where he is? 
where you get so discouraged in your spiritual life. I mean, you, you, you know, you, as a Christian, you're going, I am in Christ, but, but it's like, I do struggle and I can't figure out why I'm not changing and what's wrong in a sense. And maybe just, you get so discouraged. I, it's like, forget it now in a sense. I mean, how many have ever made some kind of spiritual decision in your life and within not too long fell back on it? Anyone been there? Okay. Actually, if you've been a Christian for the last 24 hours, you could probably raise your hand to that. Okay. How do you change? I remember with Neil at that point, I knew he was discouraged. So I just said, hey, Neil, just real quick. Um, uh, let's say, look, look over there. And I pointed to one of the girl counselors. I said, um, Neil, um, what island is she from? And he said, well, this island. Has God changed her life? I said, yeah. What about the guy counselor over here? I pointed to another guy and I said, uh, um, what island is he from? Well, this island. Has God changed his life? And he said, yeah. I said, Neil, really, you can change, but you must change God's way. So what is God's biblical way of change? How does God change us? And are we responding to this? Because in one sense, you know, as a gospel preacher, as an evangelist who's, who's constantly preaching and, and teaching the gospel in a sense, the other side of it is we've got to live worthy of this gospel. I mean, we should, that gospel for, that we hear should affect us in our everyday life. I mean, the, the truth is the same gospel that saves. We think about that, and sometimes we only look at the gospel and we, we, we see it in, in one vein of the gospel. We see it in what we call justification, where, where we're declared righteous. It's the moment you're converted, and we kind of see it that way. And, we, and then we forget that there's other elements of salvation because you have justification, yes, but there's a process in be, that's, that goes in between justification and glorification called sanctification, and that doesn't happen like that, <laughs> But if you go to think about glorification, glorification is like the moment you die, absent from the body, present with the Lord, amen. You know what I mean? So that's fast and just justification, boom, boom. But, but now you've got this process in between called sanctification. It's the process where you're becoming more like Christ or you're being daily rescued from your sin. You think of salvation, I have been saved. If you're justified, I am being saved. In other words, I'm being sanctified. And praise God, one day I will ultimately be saved from the very presence of sin altogether in glory. And I'm going, man, I wish that was now, you know. So when we think about this, I wonder if we sometimes get, get kind of mixed up in our mindset or, or where are we? So let's walk through this. Now go to verse 17 because I want to get a, I want to get an understanding of this text of scripture and let the text actually do the work in our heart as we look at this. But notice the apostle Paul. Now don't forget as you read this, this book is split right down the middle. I mean, the first three chapters it's the doctrine. It's what you need to know. It's what you have in Christ and the spiritual heavenly blessings that you have. It's, it's amazing, and there's actually only one command in the first three chapters, and that's to remember. So that means God wants you to know some things. And then because of what you know, now you live it out. The last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are like the, the duty. It's like the, the, the way you live it out. And what's amazing, it's so practical, isn't it? Our tendency is we just kind of shoot straight to that. And, and it is kind of easier to follow with all the practical truths and commands. So here we are in this practical section. I think it will be helpful for us. But notice verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, how many of you in this room are Jewish? You're actually Jewish, have Jewish lineage, anyone like that? Okay. So one, okay, all right. That means the rest of you are what? Gentiles, okay. And actually when he's saying this, he's, just not, he's not just speaking of non-Jews. He's really speaking of pagan people, the unsaved. That's the culture. That you would no longer walk or conduct your life like the Gentiles walk. I mean, how do pagan people live? And he describes it. He says, in the futility of their minds, the empty thinking. What do lost people think about? Whatever. Whatever kind of suits them. I mean, even sometimes they're thoughts of God. If there's thoughts of, if there is thoughts of God, it's like the big man upstairs, you know, like the lucky rabbit's foot in the sky or something. 
But the truth is, is really to know God. It's like their, their, their thinking is futile. It's self-centered. It's about, again, dealing with what they want in their life. But you go further, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Spiritual darkness. I mean, you've been in a real dark place. You can't see in front of you without a light. And here they are in their own understanding of spiritual things. It's they're darkened. They're actually alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. There's an element where they're not close to God at all because how can you get close to God without Christ? It's impossible. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. So as you begin to look at this life and their, their ignorance, there's this hard-heartedness, and then it gets worse in their sin as it spirals down. They have become callous and even given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, the idea, moral filth that is never satisfied. Now we can see this. This is the, this is the culture, isn't it? And the, the immorality spirals worse and worse and worse. I mean, what's the number one commodity on the internet? It's actually called porn. And the twistedness of the culture, and you're watching the cultural shift. But as you look at this, this is this greediness because it always, it, it always wants more and, and they're, they're seeking to practice more impurity. That's a lost culture without Jesus. That's, that's what you were. If you're in Christ, that's what you were. But he's speaking to this, to this group, or you could say this congregation, and as he's talking to them and saying this, he's saying that you don't walk that way, not like the pagans, because you've been delivered. And then verse 20, but, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Or maybe you could even put it this way. Jesus did not teach you how to live like that. Not if you've, not if you've walked with Christ, not if you know Christ, not if you've, if you studied his word, he, he doesn't teach that, does he? It's different. He says this, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. It's almost like a school setting. I mean, you're learning and being taught and truth and hearing these things. And yet as you walk with the Lord, he's taught you differently. So what did he teach you to do? And here's our real text. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life, that's what you used to be, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In one sense, if you're taking any notes, I'll make it really, really simple with three simple points as we look at this here this morning. But how do you change? Here we go, ready? Number one, if you're gonna experience true biblical change, then number one, you must radically amputate sin in your life. Now, you notice I didn't say, uh, kind of, maybe, sort of, get rid of it. I mean, maybe, kind of, sort of. No, I'm thinking radical amputation. Like, I'm thinking Jesus here. Because Jesus says, if your hand would cause you to sin, cut it off. If your foot would cause you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes would cause you to sin, pluck them out. Now, is he really telling you? Everybody go around, chop off your feet, pluck out your eyes. You know, no, we would, we'd all be mangled and maimed, okay? But the idea is that, that hatred and holy hatred, it's like we ought to be willing to do whatever it takes because of the sin. And we don't want that because we've been delivered so you think of this whole idea of putting off radical amputation, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. And so the corruption, which continues to go, the deceitful desires, I think of lusts, and I, I, I think of years ago at Northland Camp. So for many, many years uh, in the past, uh, probably like 13 years, we used to direct Northland Camp's junior camp called Pioneer Village, okay? Big old teepees. Actually, we started off with just like 12 big old teepees, you know what I mean? And kids would all stay in teepees and stuff too. It was really kind of cool. Um, but in the process, we would come to the end of a week and always have a, have a, a testimony service. And if you ever go to a junior camp testimony service, it's really interesting. Because they say things that are like very genuine, but they say it in their own way. 
you know? I mean, one little girl one time said, God was working in my heart because of angerment. <laughs> she, she, she was talking about anger. And she was angerment? <laughs> so they'll say things at times. Well, this one girl one time got up and she's she standing at the, the microphone and says, God has given me this lust to be a missionary. <laughs> and this lust to be a missionary is from God. You know, she kind of went back and forth. She said it like three times in that. And I'm looking up at this kind of this outdoor amphitheater thing that's by the lake there. And, and as I'm looking there, I'm seeing counselors smile and stuff too. Well, when the girl went and sat down, I, I actually, leading the, like the, uh, the testimony time, I just said, you know, she didn't say anything wrong. Actually, a lust is a strong desire. And it could be good or bad. I mean, you, like, that's a, she's saying she had a strong desire to be a missionary, and she felt like it was from God. That, that's a good desire, you know? And so you look at this, but we see this in its context. It is truly deceitful lusts. So wait a second. <clears throat> what lures you? What is it in your heart and mind that you think if you just had this, you'd be really satisfied? If I could just do this. It's such a lie, isn't it? There's deceitful desire. Have you, have you learned that yet? Have you, I, feel like, I feel like as a kid, I started to start to see some of this, okay? Um, have, you ever, have you ever watched a commercial? You know what a commercial is, don't you? It's simply a temptation. I mean, this is what they're doing. You gotta have this. Everyone else has this. You can't live without this. And you're like, I need that. You know, that's how you go. So I'm watching this commercial as a kid, and it's these... It's this, it's this racetrack, and these kids uh, have these cars on this racetrack, and they're racing them with these little, they pull the trigger, it's going around the track, and they're like, going, yeah, and they got cool music playing, everything's like, oh, super cool, and giving each other high fives. I'm like, man, that is awesome. I, I got to have that. I started begging my parents Christmas time, you know, started getting closer and closer to the finally, you know, you give hints until they finally forget the hints. I really would like this, mom, you know, and dad. And, um, and I remember Christmas came, and so that day came, and we're opening up gifts, and usually it was kind of like the last gift becomes that best gift. And, the, and I opened it up, and it was, it was that. And I mean, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> so I'm middle of five kids, my, but my oldest brother, he, he, he helped me put it together. So we put this track all together. We plug it into the wall. There's cords running to it. Talk about old school. You know, even cords running to the controllers. And all you did is pull a trigger, you know, like this, which basically gave it electricity to make the car right on the track. So anyway, we're like, are you ready? On your mark, get set, Go! <laughs> You know, like this. And sure enough, my brother's car starts going, starting to go around the track. And mine goes around the first curve and goes, and just shoots off and like crashes, you know. I'm like, hey, wait, stop. Johnny, stop. I mean, hold on. You know, it's not supposed to do that. You know, here we go. Ready? You mark. You say, go. You know, same thing. Mine shoots off. His goes around. You know, you had to kind of pull the trigger and like how much you're going to, juice you're going to give it. And, and I, ah, you know, didn't do that on the commercial. <laughs> you know, let's try it. So I'm riding. We're, we probably played with that toy for an hour. And I don't ever really remember playing with that ever again. You know what you call that? I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, I call it a spoiled brat. You know, okay, okay. <laughs> but that's a deceitful lust. If I just had that, man, I'd be satisfied. And we know this happens with all kinds of things. I mean, you, you get the latest and greatest, some kind of computer or tablet, and what happens? Like within six months, I mean, it is obsolete, you know? You get your new vehicle, and you think it's so cool with all the bells and whistles, and then all of a sudden, it's again six months later, so your neighbor pulls up with that same, in a sense, make and model, but now they've upgraded stuff already, you know? And you're like, this piece of junk, you know? And I mean, it's like, it's, you could build your dream house, and, and then, you know, five years into it, you're thinking, man, I wish I would have done this and this and this, and, you know? And things start kind of breaking down, and you just start realizing if you go after stuff, and if you go after sin, it's the same way, isn't it? If I just did this, if I just delved this way, and as you do, you, you come up short every time. And this is this whole idea, these wicked desires that, that draw us away. And this word picture in verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24 is a word picture of putting off dirty clothes, clean up, and putting on. 
It's actually showing you what's happened in the past in verse 22 and verse 24. In other words, if you really have come to Christ, what have you done? You've put off that old sin. It's like there's an idea of repentance. I, I don't want my sin, and I'm turning from that to you, Lord. Look, I'm looking to Christ. And what do you do? You then put on Christ. It's a, it's a word picture. This has happened. Actually, it's even in, pa- in the past in the language. So you look at this and it shows us what's happened at salvation. So there's, a, there's an element where we get rid of sin, but it's not a once-for-all thing, is it? In this sense, justification, when you are truly saved, is once-for-all, isn't it? I mean, it's like he declares you righteous. And what does that mean? All the past sins, all the present sins, and even the future sins he's paid for. Now, maybe you're sitting here going, well, well if that's the case... <laughs> I mean, I can go do anything I want. <laughs> not if you've been saved, though. That's not what you think. You, you go, I don't want to do my, I don't want to go back to that. He's rescued me from that. If, you, if you're thinking, oh, I want to go back to that, well, then you probably never got it yet. You never got salvation. But you think about that. He's, I mean, that's everything. That means God, if you're here right now and you're in Christ, You've been born above, born from above. You've been born again. Guess what that means? That means God looks down from heaven and he doesn't even see you in a sense. He sees Christ in you. That's crazy. Because we realize how much we come short as believers, don't we? So the truth is, is, so what do we do with our sin? Well, at the moment of conversion, we were radically amputating, weren't we? We're, I don't want my sin, I need Christ. It's a, a real repentance. But the truth is, is what do we do each day as believers? Because we still sin. So we humble ourselves and do what the scripture teaches. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an amazing truth from God. That means you can humble yourself. Now think about confession. It's that Greek word, that, you know, homo lageo. It's like the idea of same homo lageo word. It's like agreeing with God against yourself. Or if I'm preaching to juniors, I would say, you know what it's like? You know what confession is? It's when you tell on yourself. Because they all know what it means to be told on and tell on other people. But when you really confess, what are you doing? You're going to God and you're telling God, God, here's what I've done. And this is wrong according to your word. And I'm agreeing with you against me. God, change me. When you think about that genuine confession and brokenness, it's a person who's saying, I don't want my sin. And God, you're the only one who can deliver me. I've tried it on my own. It doesn't work. I need you. You need him every day, not just, not just at conversion, every day. Because that process of him changing you is a process that we do call sanctification. And it's not a boom. It, it, I mean, it takes time. And you're, 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 you're learning to walk with him each day. Live out this Christian life. So radically amputated. So my question is this. Is there any sins in your mind or heart that you can think of that God wants to change you? Now maybe you're sitting here thinking, I mean, (laughs) I can't think of any, Jeremy. (laughs) I think I'm doing pretty good. You know, the closer you walk with God, the more sinful you see yourself. The closer you walk to the light, the more you're exposed. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. He's the greatest missionary, I would maybe say, who ever lived in one sense, you know? And yet he, he calls himself the chief of sinners, O wretched man that I am? How in the world? But when you walk close to a holy God, you see how, how we just don't match up. And there's this, rad, again, this radical amputation of saying, dear God, change me. And if we don't see it, dear God, help me to see it. I guarantee other people do see it. You know, if you, if you think you've never sinned or you think you don't struggle with sin, I mean, I, someone told me one time that you know, had like an uncle or something too, and, and the uncle claimed that the moment he got saved, he's never sinned since. <laughs> I 
And I thought, I would love to talk to his wife. <laughs> I would find out real quickly he's a sinner. <laughs> and so you look at this whole idea, and so the question is, radical amputation, how do you treat sin in your life? Because I think we naturally treat it really well with ourselves. Like, we, you know, we look at ourselves, and we're like, you know, not that big a deal. Now, in other people, we're like, man, that's wrong. I can't believe they said that or they did that, you know. But, but for ourselves, and we seem to justify ourselves. We, you know, it's, it's, it's like the, the idea of, you know, husband and wife where the, the you know, the, the wife says, you don't understand what I have to live with. I mean, every day, 5 o'clock, you know, he comes home, 6 o'clock, it's like, and I've got to pick up all the pieces. And so, so she, what is she saying? It's not my fault, but it's his fault. And then guess what he's saying? He's like, man, my wife, you know, she's like always on my case, you know. She's like, rah, rah, rah. I mean, in the morning, she's like a self-starter. I mean, she's really on my case. And if you only still understood what I had to live with, you understand why I am the way I am. And what is he saying? It's not my fault, it's her fault. And then teenagers saying, you know what? My parents are just a bunch of hypocrites. What are they saying? It's their fault, you know? Or my brother or sisters, if they wouldn't. You know, it, it, like we, we are so quick at making excuses and it goes straight back to the garden. You know, that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. And the truth is, is the blood of Jesus Christ will not cleanse you from the excuses you make but it will cleanse you from all sin. And if we're unwilling to call it what it is, that means we don't see the sin the same way God sees it. There's no radical amputation. And then you start thinking of radical amputation, and there are people who have severed limbs in order to live just because they knew they needed to do that. I think of Oklahoma City bombing. They tunnel their way in, the rescue workers, and find a lady underneath all this concrete, a leg crushed, and they're trying to get her out and couldn't. They said, ma'am, you can stay here and die, or we can sever your leg and you'll live. And six months later, she's on national television talking about this, and sure enough, she, she had a leg amputated radical amputation how do you treat sin in your life and the word picture there shows us put it off and then you think of this number two not just radical amputation we'll move faster now verse 23 says this and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds or or maybe you could say renovate your thinking You radically amputate sin, and you say, okay, God, what does your word teach? And the truth is you you have your mind renovated. When you think of renovation, I think sometimes we think of that idea of renewal. Um, Maybe your mind races to Titus 3, 5, and 6. Remember, it's like the idea is, is, is not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy hath he saved us. Um, How do you do that? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So this element of the Spirit of God does that renewal work, but you also know Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm guessing, where Paul says, I beseech you or I beg of you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. And it should be holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The idea is it's your only rational way of, of, of real worship, fully committed, fully surrendered this sacrifice to him. And then what does it tell you to do? It says, and be not conformed to the world, but you are transformed. That's where we get our English word for the idea of metamorphosis. Caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly. Okay, that's transformation. And yet here's this idea that you transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Are you catching this? It's how does that renovation work? The way it works, it's the Spirit of God that works actually through the Scriptures to make you more like Christ. And you have Jesus even preaching this and teaching this. And it's even in this high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 17, what does he say? Sanctify them through thy truth. It's like set them apart from sin unto me, sanctify them, and do it through thy truth. And then he says this, thy word is truth. It's the Scriptures. The word of God, as we take it in and we apply it in our life, we obey it by his grace and strength. What happens? Now our minds are being transformed and our life is going to be transformed. 
This is, this is the same thing that happened at salvation, isn't it? If you're truly saved, that's where it began, but it doesn't stop there. Now we're daily being saved in many ways, kind of like the same way. We, we see our sin and we say, God, I don't want that. I'm looking to you. I'm, I'm not re-asking God to, to be my heavenly father. No, because if I am saved, I am, I'm his child. But I'm saying, God, as your child, I'm doing wrong. Will you please change me? When's the last time you, you really humbled yourself before God and asked him to forgive you of specific sins? And if you can't think, you know, it's not because you don't sin. It's because we get callous to our sins. As God begins to reveal them to us, we should be so open and so ready. Dear God, use your word. Do you know what's interesting? Verse 22 and verse 24 are in the past tense, but not verse 23. Verse 23 is, a, is in the present tense. It's a, it's a constant renewal of your mind. It, it's not a one-time thing. Hey, Jeremy, I got saved when I was five or something like that. And we go... You know what I mean? Praise the Lord. But, but just because you got saved in your five, so what is God doing to change your heart now? And how are you responding to him now? And how is your mind being renovated now? What does the scripture actually teach? Now, I say this because you could even think of, if I'm asking you, okay, can you think of any sins in your life? Now, think of some for a minute. Okay, can you, can you at least get one of them? You know, if you can't think of any, just say spiritually proud. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but in that, think of whatever sin it may be. Here we go, ready? What verse comes to your mind? that combats that sin? What's the second verse that comes to your mind when you think of the sin you're struggling with? What's the third verse or a fourth? And it may be that you're, you know, Jeremy, you're like, ah, you know, it's just moving too fast for me. <laughs> but I wonder if we're just not really prepared. When it comes to the spiritual battle and the renovation work, and yet we need to go back to the scriptures. So, yes, there's a right way of renovation and a wrong way. You know, just like, just like you men, as, as, your, as your wife says, listen, we need to renovate the bathroom. And, you, and so you're thinking, okay, 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 okay. You know, and it's, it's four years later. And you're like, you know, okay. And, and there's like this funny partition maybe beside the toilet. It's a funny little wall thing that you want, they're going to get rid of. So, how am I going to get rid of that? Well, and then, so you don't rent like a backhoe, you know, a skidster and kind of... <laughs> rip it. No, you, you actually use the right tool. You might get a small sledge to pound the wall out to be careful as you're doing the renovation work. In other words, there's a right tool for the right job. And the same way spiritually, it's the word of God that does this. So why are we looking to all the secular stuff? Why don't we go back to the core of the scriptures and say, God, what does your word teach? And I want to humble myself and follow what you say by your grace. So number one, yes, radically amputate sin. Number two, you renovate your thinking. And then number three, praise the Lord, you replace the old sin habits. When you look at this replacement, look at verse 24. To, and to put on the new man, the new man, the new self. And what's the new self? It's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The idea that new self, that God is doing that work within you. You're putting on Christ, that new self. What does the word teach? You're replacing the old sin habits with what scripture teaches you to replace them even with. And it's this, you're created after the likeness of God. He's making you more into the image of Christ through this process. And he's making you more righteous. And when you think about that, I think about meeting our obligations. And it seems to be almost like towards people, we do the right thing. That's a righteousness. But then true holiness, this idea of holiness now is is us before God. He's making us more like him. It's almost like a, a, a vertical and a horizontal. And you're watching God at work to do this. But, and we don't, I know the phrase, you know the phrase, let go and let God? There is truth to that phrase, but there can also be error to that phrase. You understand that, don't you? Because let go and let God might be like, you know, you just kind of sit back, you know. Uh, you know, watch, watch some prime videos. You know, like God and his timing will change me. 
So why don't I go play golf or something? You know what I mean? Whoa, 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 wait. But then the other side of it, it's like, well, I got to do it. And then you think of, I think of the, the verses in Philippians where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It doesn't mean to, doesn't mean you earn your salvation. You have salvation, work it out. It's like a marriage. You get married, you say, I do. Yep, you say, I do. Okay, you're done. <laughs> now, what do you do as a, as a marriage? You work it out. It's a lifelong process where you're learning one another and you're, you're working through things and you work out your own salvation, Scripture says, with fear and trembling. Okay, there's an element of a, of, a, of, a, of a reverence and an awe before God and say, God, help me. And, and yet you, but that looks like if you only read that verse, you would think, yeah, I gotta do this. That's me. I gotta put forth the effort. And that is true, you do. But wait a second. The next verse after that, Philippians says, for it is God who worketh in you but the will and do of his good pleasure. And if you only read that verse, you would go, let go, let God. I'm sitting down here and going to hang out until God changes me. No, there's an element because God's at work. Under his strength and power, get to work. As you look at this, this shows you the biblical change. Now look at verse 25, okay? You just want to see a couple illustrations? I'll read the illustrations for you because then we'll be done here. But notice verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Lying, living a lie. You know, sometimes with teenagers, this is something I've heard through the years. The struggle is my mom or my dad is one way at church, but a whole nother way at home. Falsehood. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. And remember, this is all about what God's doing in the church for his glory. For we, in the church, are members one of another. Like, when you, when you lie, you hurt the body of Christ. When you live a lie, it's hurtful to the body of Christ. Verse 26. Again, you saw this whole idea of put away the falsehood and speak truth. Are you seeing the replacement? Watch this, verse 26. Be angry and, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Go to bed angry and you wake up and you're angry and you go throughout the day and you're angry. And really what's happened, you've just, you, you've just given the devil an opportunity, a foothold in your life. You want your life to be destroyed? Go to bed angry. And don't deal with what God is dealing with your heart. about. And then again, there's an element of be angry. That's commandment, okay, to be angry. But don't sin in the process. There's a righteous anger that you can have, but, but not a sinful anger. And he's dealing with that. Verse 28, let, it says, you know, um, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with someone in need. Are you seeing replacement? The thief stole before, but now with his own hands, he's not doing that. He's laboring hard to the point of exhaustion to work, to give. It's like this, it's like scripture's not teaching you, hey, work to get. It's work to give. That God would use you to minister with, with your giving. And then you go, look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk, that Greek word is sapros, it means any filthy communication. I mean, it could be taking God's name in vain. It could be dirty jokes. It could be gossiping. It could be, again, lying would be included in that. I mean, it, 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 there's so many ways you can speak awful. But don't let it come out of your mouths. But only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. So now you're careful in what you say, thinking through, by God's grace, I want to build people up, strengthen them through my speech, and I want to say the right thing at the right time. God, I need your help. I can't do that. That it may minister or give grace to those who hear. What is your speech like? And verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God, if he, you've been saved, he sealed you. He will, take you, he will take you home. He'll faithfully do that. I mean, and he'll bring you safely home. But notice verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with, along with all malice. 
These are all different kinds of sins of anger. Internal, external. And again, which grieves the spirit? Is it, the, is it verse 31 or, or is it verse 29? I mean, we're, and, and the answer is yes. It, it's kind of ambiguous, which means this. Sin grieves the spirit. And when the spirit of God is grieved in you as a believer, guess who's grieved? You are. And you got Christians that walk around with their faces all, and and they're like, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, you know? And we go, where? (laughs) (laughs) And so what do you replace all that anger with? Verse 32, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, a caring attitude that looks to meet the needs of others. Do you even know what the needs of others are? We're kind, we're tender-hearted, we're forgiving one another. Why are we forgiving? Because as God in Christ forgave you. I want you to think about that for a minute. If you're in Christ, how many sins have you been forgiven of? What's the answer? All of them. Amen. So why don't we forgive others? And I would say, too, it's difficult when people do you wrong, isn't it? But in Christ, you can forgive. I look at all this, and there's just so much replacement, put off, renew, and put on. And I'd say, guess what, you guys? You can change, but you must change God's way. May God stir our hearts. May he work in us. This is why daily time with God in the word is so important, where you're humbly saying, God, teach me, grow me, change me. If that's not true in your heart and life, or if God right now is speaking about sins, I want to challenge you right now in the quietness of this moment as we close in prayer, that you even right now in your heart to say, God, you're right, and I'm wrong, and here's where I'm wrong. And humble yourself. Maybe some of you committing, dear God, stir my heart that I would be in the word faithfully and walk with you. And then open it up and do it. And God, by your grace, I want to obey you and and change. Show me from your word what that would be. And I want to replace, by your grace, the old sin habits. Isn't that awesome? It's actually really simple. May God help us do that. We can't do it on our own. We need him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my friends here, the blessing that we've had just together. And I think about these teenagers and I think about these adults. God, stir our hearts. Show us areas that need to change. And then, God, by your grace, may we look to you for renovation. Do that work in our mind, in our hearts, and transform us into your image. That when others see us, They wouldn't see us. They would see Christ in us. And God, I pray that we would not forget what we have in Christ. Thank you for your blessings to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.